Um, this morning, we, uh, this is a great, really good Sunday to, to come along because we're really officially beginning a series. We, we had an introduction to it last week, but this is really the official beginning to, uh, of a series that we're going to do called Finding Life, which is all about encouraging us to grow in our spiritual disciplines and to be growing as Christians so that our years don't look the same. As I mentioned last week, uh, there's a danger sometimes that instead of 22-year-old Christians, we can have one-year-old Christian 22 times. And so we want to be people that grow uh, spiritually and encourage each other in that. And can I just say that I've actually felt a bit nervous about this series. Um, and, you know, you can feel a bit vulnerable as a pastor because you're like, oh, I hope, hope people engage with this. Um, and also because I think the series that we're looking at, like this has the potential to be really transformative for people. And I know that we throw that round in church a lot, you know, this could change your life. Um, but genuinely it can because I've, I've just seen what God's done in my own heart as I've taken the call to follow him seriously, not just on Sunday but on every day, and to be with him and to walk with him. And, uh, and I've, been, I, I've been so uh, nervous about it. I've actually, I actually had a dream this week where we, I turned up to church to preach and no one turned up. Well, it was like there was just a scattering of people, like, you know, like 10 people or something. And I, and I had this dream, oh, no, no one's going to come to church because no one wants to listen. And uh, so thank you for coming today. I'm really relieved because uh, it felt one of those real dreams. You know, you have one, some of those real dreams. Um, I also just sense it's because there's a real spiritual battle over some of this stuff, you know, in terms of like the, the potential for what people do when they just immerse themselves in the life of Jesus. The enemy's terrified. And so he wants, and especially in New Zealand, because we don't like to be told what to do. So it's kind of hitting so many things. But I have been super encouraged just even in this week with what I've heard through the grapevine. People starting groups, people starting accountability circles, uh, engaging with home group. Um, I'm amazed that some of you guys took up the advanced challenge last week and some of you have bought books and been reading them. Um, I was super encouraged, again, this is how vulnerable and insecure I am, when I checked the website to see our traffic, especially to our notes and sermon notes page. It was really big. And I was like, oh, great, maybe people are engaging with this and all my vulnerabilities are ill-placed. Uh, so I'm really grateful. Today we are going to continue this sermon and really look at probably one of the most important disciplines that we uh, have, and that's just around building a, de a strong devotional life with Jesus. And so I'd like Peter Scazzero to introduce this uh, topic as into why we're doing it. You'll hear a lot more from Peter Scazzero as we do our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, but let's have a listen to him. Without connecting with Jesus personally and deeply, there really cannot be any change in our lives, nor in our churches, any deep change anyway. For more than 30 years, I've been a pastor in Queens, New York, with people from over 73 nations in our church. At the same time, I've traveled a bit around the world speaking to pastors and leaders, and I've been observing the church in a variety of settings and denominations. And I think I can say with some authority now that we have a crisis in the church today. Many Christians in our churches believe in Jesus but their relationship with him is barely existent at times or seriously underdeveloped. The following are common answers I hear when I ask people about their rhythms of spending time with God. They say things like, I only think of God on my drive to work in the morning, or my rhythms, they're non-existent, or spending time with God for me, Pete, is when I have time, it's really not a priority. 
I'm a binger, Pete. When I, I fill up for days, I fill up on Jesus, and then I starve for days. Or my rhythms only exist in church on Sundays and our monthly women's group. Or I don't have any rhythms, and I basically only call on God when I'm in a jam. Or most of my time, Pete, is spent speaking to God, and I tell him things that are bothering me. Or as one 19-year-old told me, I just rush through devotions to get them done. That is nothing less than a spiritual crisis for the church today, especially when we consider that God's love for the world comes primarily through his people, us. Now, <laughs> the last thing I want is to start just dishing out condemnation burgers from the front because I know that there's a lot of fear around that, you know, and so, but I think we've got to be honest, eh? Like it is, we are dealing with the crisis here. Uh, and uh, man, there's, it, it's been the case for me. I've been in full-time ministry 15 years and I am embarrassed, particularly about the first five, in terms of what that looked like in terms of spiritual disciplines and my devotional life. And so let's look at why we pursue this goal of spiritual formation of a strong inner world with Jesus. The first reason I believe it's important for us to cultivate this is we actually find true meaning and purpose in our lives. For most of us at a certain point, there needs to be a change from the external goals in life giving us meaning to an inner world with Jesus that gives us meaning and identity. At some point, there has to be that sort of transition. Uh, but uh, it, you know, a lot of people freak out in life because most of your life is actually set for you. Like what your days are going to look like, what your job's going to be, who you're married to, you know, just like what your, your next like 10 years is going to look like is pretty much set. You know, I was like, man, why did I come to church today? I'm so depressed already. And like you're just telling me. <laughs> and there can be a whole lot of disappointment, particularly because we have all these dreams in our teenage years or early 20s about being significant and that when we start to realize, oh man, I'm in my 30s, 40s, 50s, and these dreams for significance haven't been realized, there can be this crisis where it's like, life's just rubbish, you know? And so it's very interesting because most of us, I think, live in disappointment about where we're actually at. And then there's like 1% of you that have actually achieved your dreams and goals and financial aspirations and celebrity status and books published and all of that. And you're disappointed as well because it doesn't satisfy and hasn't given you the meaning and happiness and joy that you thought it would. Yay! <laughs> so like at some point there needs to be a change from this dreams of an external significance to the dreams of an internal journey with Jesus that give us such meaning and identity and freedom in life that we're deeply, deeply satisfied and content. Uh, in my teenage years, I dreamed of being a rock star or a famous worship leader. That was my kind of two big dreams, either or. Happy God, you know, however you want to use me, you know. But it really needs to be as a famous worship leader, the next Matt Redman or, you know, or as some famous rock star. And there was this brief moment in my 20s where I thought my dreams were going to come true. A band uh, that was my hero band, like the, my favourite band in New Zealand, approached me and said, do you, do you want to audition because we've lost our bass player? And so I was like, yeah, I'll audition, practice my heart out, and, and got in the band. And they're like, I don't know what your summer plans are, but we've just, you know, just so you know, mate, we've been signed by this US label, and it looks like the van's warped to it, and the States is going to be happening, so can you take a year off Bible college? Can do, no problem. 
see you later, Bible college, you know, and they're like, okay, so we've got a big day out, parachute, then we've got the Vans Warped Tour, and then, you know, and, this, and I'm just like, I'm, you know, thank you, Jesus, you're real, you love me, I'm going to be a rock star, and like, my ego, which I struggle with on a daily basis anyway, just went bananas, and, and then they dumped me, and then the label dropped them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sorry, uh, and, and we have to sit constantly. You know, I, I look and I see friends of mine who are my age who have written books, who are pastoring mega churches, who, you know, and it's like, I'm in the bay. <laughs> no, I love it. I actually love it. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. I've had to deal with the disappointment of where I'm at in my life right now. And I felt that the Lord's saying to me, it's not about those external things. It's about, the, the goal now, from now on till I die, is, is an internal life with Jesus that brings so much life that it satisfies, and even if I'm simply a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord for the rest of my days, hallelujah, it is enough for me. Amen? So this is why it's so important, because without that, you are going to strive to find significance and identity and meaning, and you will be disappointed even more. It will not satisfy. That's why people have midlife crises. That's why people turn to drugs and affairs and all sorts of stuff to try and get some kickback in their life when actually it's found in Jesus. The second point is to simply, as followers of Jesus, that we want to be serious about imitating him. I, I, let, I put a few scriptures up there because there's just way too many. Uh, but, you know, Jesus just lived this deep devotional life, Matthew 14, 22. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Mark 6.46, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Luke 6.12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 1.35, and early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a secluded place, and was praying there. Luke 5.16, but Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Luke 9.18, and it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, who do people say that I am? Jesus constantly going to these places. And so I'm like, if, it's, if that's what it means to imitate Jesus, that's actually part of the deal for us throughout the week is to go to lonely places and to, to sit with our Heavenly Father. The third reason that it's important that this is cultivated in our lives is, as Pete Scazzaro pointed out, that primarily the way that Jesus works is through the, the, the believers that he's entrusted with the gospel and with embodying him as, as the church church in this day and age. And again, as Jean pointed out a couple of weeks ago, if we're not frothing on Jesus, we should not be sharing Jesus. And uh, there is a danger, again, that Christians, that we can get bored, you know, we can get bored in our walk with the Lord. And a big part of that is because we have not cultivated an inner world with Him that brings us to life. And so, again, in my experience, the more I've fought for this, and we're going to talk about that in a second, the more I've fought for this, the more frothed on Jesus I've got. <laughs> You know, and there's, be, there's, there's dry patches and dark nights of the soul, but the more I've worked on this devotional side of my life, the more life I find in my inner being, the more it's hard to get through worship sets without completely melting down, the, the, the more difficult it can be to drive along that beautiful uh, patch next to the airport and seeing the sunrise and not be overwhelmed with joy at the goodness of God revealed in creation. The more that you spend time with Him, the more transformed you've got. And all of the spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking about over these next couple of weeks bring the sort of life that Jesus longs us to have.
Again, we're going to say this constantly. This is not salvation stuff. It isn't we do this to please God. He's pleased with us because of what he's done on the cross for us. It's a free gift, as Andre pointed out. But this is to engage with the life found in following Jesus and its life in all of its fullness. The the fifth reason is to be a person transformed, experiencing the fruit of being close to Jesus. We mentioned this last week. In John 15, predominantly the fruit that John 15 talks about is love. Love, joy, and peace, which are also the first fruit of the, the three fruit of the Spirit. And I can say from personal experience that the more I've cultivated a, a devotional life with Jesus that's brought, joy, that's brought life to my soul, the more I've experienced His love and His joy and His peace spilling over into my world day by day. I want to be that sort of Christian, and I don't believe it's a pipe dream that that becomes your predominant experience rather than your exception. That you live in a place of love, deep abiding love, that you are filled with joy, hallelujah, and in the stressed out, anxious world, you can know peace, even when storms are going on and challenges take place. And the last reason, obviously, and most importantly, is that it would simply be in communion with God, that we would be in relationship with Him. He, he's, you know, he really misses you. You know, Monday to Saturday, he's like, just, a, you know, hello, I'm over here, you know. He, he, Get your head. This is a true. He misses you. He loves you. You know how we talk about a Jesus shaped hole in our hearts? There's a U shaped hole in Jesus' heart. And when you spend time with him, he loves it because he wants friendship with you. He doesn't want some sort of distant, kind of weird CEO relationship. He wants communion. And when we choose to abide and walk with him daily, oh, the life it brings as we discover friendship with God. It's utterly extraordinary. So, What are the hurdles to uh, this life in Jesus? Well, let's look at a couple before we look at a few uh, just practical ways that we can outwork this. And there will be homework this week, friends, as there will be every week in this sermon. But what are the the hurdles? Well, the first thing that we have to uh, work through is our attachment to these weapons of mass distraction, uh, these WMDs, these wireless mobile devices. I was 18 years old when I got my first phone, and so uh, I'm 37 now. I... I'm at the hinge of a massive generational change that has completely changed the world. My generation's right on the, just on the, so I can remember a world without the internet, but most of my life now has involved the World Wide Web. Uh, anyone older than me, uh, this won't be as much of an issue. Everyone younger than me, you've got a serious, serious challenge on your hands to cultivate a private world with Jesus because of these weapons of mass distraction. Um, And so we live in an area where a time where in the last decade, the smartphone has changed what it means for us to be human. And it has decreased, if not demolished, particularly for young people, our ability to focus. And so it's a massive challenge for us to work out how do we stay close to Jesus and, uh, and have this in our pockets as well. Most Westerners' relationship with their phone is compulsion, if not addiction. But we also have got to remember, technology isn't going anywhere. I'm not suggesting just to be, for the record, straight up front, we're not, I'm not calling us to be Amish, 
Okay, so I'm not saying let's get rid of all of this. I love my phone. That's the issue. Uh, and, and there's some great things about it. I love that I can take a photo right now. Me and Chris could take a selfie. And, you know, I just think that's cool because we might have a moment. In fact, I wish I had my phone out when Chris was setting up the, uh, the music stands today because as he set it up and he was working very hard, he then raised up the, uh, mic, the, the, um, the music stand and the whole top end came off and whacked him on the head, which caused us great joy. Um, I love that I can uh, engage with some of the best teaching in the world within seconds on my drive home. I can listen to New Testament scholars and I can, uh, and I can listen to Hamish and Andy and have a giggle without listening to the rubbish music that's normally on the radio stations and all that stuff. I love that I can listen to lossless music at the drop of a hat because I'm into my music and I'm a bit of an audiophile. So this, you know, I love that I've got Bibles and I've got all... But, so I'm not suggesting we've got to throw it out, but I am saying we actually need to get serious about digital discipleship. And I am saying from this moment in our church, this is a conversation I'd like us to have in groups and whatnot, particularly if it's an issue for you. If this, I can't have a conversation. I can't sit through a movie. I can't hang out in real life with friends. I can't make it through dinner. I can't make it through a conversation. I can't drive my car more than a couple of blocks, very dangerous, without thumbing through social media. And this isn't some like thing that I justify as like it's for work or I need to know it's going This is mindless scrolling. This is that thing you do on Twitter, that thing you do on Instagram. There's nothing behind it. There's no benefit. There's no upside. Just scroll. Instagram, I can similarly justify it as like, this is just fun. It's a great way to pass time. But the reality is an hour a day looking at pictures, like there's there's just no way that that's making me a better person or a better father or a better anything. That's just like burning time, looking at other people's lives, like what is that doing to our brains? And then that, that what is it doing to our brains bit, I think is, well, nobody knows. See, social media is not that old. It's like, whatever, 10, 15 years old. And then having these super powerful smartphones in our pocket that give us unfettered access to social media, that's new. It hasn't been around long enough for anybody to actually know what the impact, like the long-term impact of it is. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. Here's my, this is a short-term solution, but here's what I'm gonna do. I am officially deleting Twitter and Instagram off of both of my phones. I'm keeping my accounts. And by not having it on my phones, it means I'm not gonna be able to check it all day long. If there's something I need to read about, something I wanna share, I'll write it down in my notes app. I'll take a picture and leave it on my phone. When I get home later, I'll share it if I deem it worthy. But from now on, or at least uh, until I can't stand it anymore, I'm only going to be checking social media when I sit down at home in front of my laptop. I spend far less time a day in front of my laptop than I do with, with one of these two devices in my hands. Now, Casey, now, nice to who I've got a major um, crush on, uh, has got a, uh, he's not a Christian guy, he's got 11, over 11 million followers on YouTube, get your head around that. So he's, but this is, in society now, there is starting to get a, a kickback to the control that these devices have over our lives. There's a great book which is going to be in your homework if this is an issue for us, advanced homework granted, but uh, this amazing woman, Catherine Price, who wrote a great book, which I skim read this week, called Breaking Up With Your Phone, um, says Steve Jobs was right, smartphones really are different. They're different 
in lots of good ways, obviously, but smartphones also talk back at us. They nag at us. They disturb us when we're working. They demand our attention and reward us when we give it to them. Smartphones engage in disruptive behaviors that have traditionally been performed only by extremely annoying people. <laughs> it's just so true. Uh, and so... These, these have been designed to distract you and train your brain how to think a certain way. And again, I know I'm laboring this point, but it's so serious. Uh, and so... This thing is a sign this, tr- this is Tristan Harris, who was a Google executive. Some of you may have seen this 60-minute so- uh, slot before. This guy was behind the curtain in terms of the programming that goes on to, to condition our brains. This thing is a slot machine. How is that a slot machine? Well, every time I check my phone, I'm playing the slot machine to see what did I get. This is one way to um, hijack people's minds and create a habit, to form a habit. What you do is you make it so when someone pulls a lever, sometimes they get a reward, an exciting reward. And it turns out that this design technique can be embedded inside of all these products. The rewards Harris is talking about are a big part of what makes smartphones so appealing. The chance of getting likes on Facebook and Instagram, cute emojis and text messages, and new followers on Twitter. There's a whole playbook of techniques that get used to get you using for the product for as long as possible. There's always this narrative that technology is neutral and it's up to us to choose how we use it. This is just not true. Technology is not neutral. It's not neutral. They want you to use it in particular ways and for long periods of time because that's how they make their money. Interesting, eh? Now, I'm going to link these videos on, uh, on our website and all the rest of it, but um, here's, here's, here's the big conclusion, and I've quoted myself, which is awesome. As a follower of Jesus... I want to live a certain way, and the first is in deep communion and relationship with God, and this device is going to compete for my attention and will seek to distract me from the pursuit of that goal. And the second is in deep relationship with my family, wife, kids, friends, my neighbor, and this device is going to compete for my attention in the pursuit of that goal. Therefore, how do I manage my use of this device in such a way that my greatest priorities remain the greatest commandments without turning Amish? Right? So we have to start talking about this. Now, it's really annoying that my wife is here because I'm sounding like a voice of authority that's got this area of my life under control, and she will vouch for you today. Full disclosure, I've got a long way to go, and she's thrilled that I'm preaching it from the front because this gives her some ammunition to remind me of uh, my particular statements publicly. Um, But here's some practical tips, because if you want to build a devotional life, we need to start changing the way we relate to this. And so practical tips, turn off as many notifications as possible. Those messages can wait. It's an invitation, it's not a demand. Emails, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Instagram, all, the, all of it. I literally, and this has actually been happening for years now, so I feel like I can say this with some authority, Jen. Uh, I've turned this stuff off for, I feel a voice in my, I've turned this stuff off for years. You know how awesome it is? It's like I'm not getting notifications all the time. I'm limiting to just a few things, phone calls and texts. That's it. I, I don't get notifications when you send me emails. I don't get notifications when you send me Facebook messages. 
they can wait. And then at certain points, I can then engage with them and reply to them. But it doesn't require me to reply to you within seconds. We need to break the expectation in this culture of this church that we're going to reply in two seconds. Now, I've got to lift my game about replying full stop sometimes because I get quite a bit of correspondence. And so some of you have been on the receiving end of silence for days on then. But, uh, but again, I'd far rather lean that way than the other way where it's like we're totally on this whole thing all the time. So they can wait. Create some rules, especially uh, considering your family, especially considering Sabbath, which we're going to be talking about in two Sundays' time, especially around your uh, devotional schedule. Create some rules around when the phone is even near you. You can, you know, locking it away or, you know, we've got a long way to go on this, but my dream for my family is that at a certain point in the night, the phones go away. Um, particularly as my kids start growing up. But even now, because I, don't, I was talking to my pastor friend from Christchurch uh, this week, and he said, I don't want my kids' memory of me when they were little is simply memories of me on my phone in front of them. And I was like, oh, great condemnation burger for me there. Great, you know, and so it's true. You know, I think we want to have dreams around what our evenings look like with our family. But also when it comes to our devotional life, this isn't probably a tool to use. Maybe, but like, and, and it's very helpful and handy. But like, to sit with Jesus means, I think, to stick this somewhere else, to be with Him, to sit with. Um, there's a great uh, oh, d- do a Casey delete problematic um, apps. I did this um, a little while ago, about a month ago now. Did a Casey, and um, man, it's been good. You know, so good. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I can check that stuff. Um, I can check that stuff when I go to work or whatever. But I don't. And I want to spend my life on these devices, and I want to use them for work. I don't want to use them just to zone out and be a zombie. Um, and the last thing is you can use some lock screen wallpapers that ask some key questions before you open your phone. This is from this book, Breaking Up With Your Phone. So I'm going to link to these. But on my phone at the moment, I've got the left-hand side wallpaper. So before I open my phone, because we have this habit, I need to answer the questions, what, what is this for? So like, why, am I, why now? So why am I doing this? Is there a purpose to it, or am I just zombie mode going to it? Why now? Like, does it have to happen now, or can we do it later? And what else could I do instead of choosing this right now? I mean, my, my children are looking at me all hungry for attention, you know. So, so uh, you know, I don't want to. I know that some of you guys have zoned out because this isn't a big issue for you. But I'm talking to everyone, particularly my age and younger. This is a big deal, and we need to actually get sharp on this in terms of a discipleship thing. And I'm, I'm not saying, again, we turn Amish, but I'm saying let's be in control of it rather than it be in control of us because never has the world been controlled by a bunch of white people in Silicon Valley than it is today. They have decided to make apps to control the way we think. It is serious stuff. It's literally brain hacking, and we need to lift our game if we want to stay close to Jesus. Okay, all of this stuff is going to be on our website under the new banner, teaching slides and notes, so don't worry about taking photos, all the links to what I'm going to be saying is going to be on our secret Facebook page, it's already live, no, it's going to be live in 15 minutes, uh, and then at Monday lunchtime, it's going to be all on our website, okay, so all of these different links and challenges, okay, the second point, oh boy, we're going to move a little quicker from now on, the second point, the second way that the hurdle that we've got to deal with is, is our busyness and our distraction, uh, You've heard me talk about this a lot, um, but this is, and this is where the phone thing's key. As followers of Jesus, you know what the predominant metaphor of hanging out with him, it's called a walk with Jesus. It's not a run or a sprint, it's a walk 
we walk with Jesus. It's at a pace that's not frantic. Now, I'm not talking about how much pressure's on your job. I'm not talking about how you know, nutty your children are. Hashtag crazy in our case. Um, I'm talking about inner busyness. I'm talking about heart busyness and distraction where we cannot slow down. Every one of us, no matter the pressures on our plate, have the capacity in our days to slow down and be with Jesus. We just need to train ourselves to do it, to slow down and to be with Jesus, to learn, as he says, the unforced rhythms of grace. Uh, and again, this, this Dallas Willard quote, which is just so challenging. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I've just been trying to live this now for a year or so, and it's like when I drive... <laughs> <laughs> Can I just be at peace? <laughs> and I'm sl- it's taking a year, I'm slowly getting better. Slowly, slowly getting better. But just to slow down and be with Jesus. Um, I think uh, this quote by Ronald Rollheiser is, is challenging today. A number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. And again, I'm not saying this in any way to condemn any person here. I'm saying let's just be honest about it. And in the context of our groups, commit together to slowing down our minds and our hearts and to have time to be and just sit with Jesus. Uh, there can be a thing, a kind of temptation where it's like we, we want to have all of life and squeeze Jesus in as well. And actually, I think our position needs to be, Jesus, you have my life and then let's build the rest of it around you. Rather than squeezing him in for Sabbath, I've been thinking a lot about Sabbath recently, and me and my wife have been doing a lot of you know discussion around this. And it dawned on me on Friday as we we talked about this and we were looking at Sabbath in our own lives that again, even for things like Sabbath, it's like okay, how can I make Sabbath work in my life? Rather than going, I'm going to Sabbath, and what else then can we do within that? Um, one of my friends, um, uh, sorry, not my friends, one a guy that I'm hugely inspired by. His kids don't play Sunday, uh, Saturday sport because he Sabbath's the number one priority. And it's just not that relaxing for them to do that. And I'm like, no, I'm not saying we do that. You know, no, you know whatever. But I just like, I admire the fact he's like, okay, Sabbath first, and then how do we work out the rest of it? Um, and so I think it's the same with our devotional life and spiritual lives. Rather than like, how do we squeeze God into our day? I'm like, what is, let's get clear. What, is, what would I love my weeks or days to look like with Jesus? And then I put the rest of it around. And, and that often means, in fact, it always means I say no to good things to say yes to the great thing of Jesus. And it means I disappoint people because I'm, Jesus is the priority. And that may be you disappoint church, though I'd prefer it if that was the last thing that you drop rather than, you know, in terms of any commitment here, rather than the first thing that you drop, which is often the case. But it's like sometimes we've got to disappoint people or not just, or, and often it's disappointing culture. 
I'm not going to be out every night. I'm not going to be just fearing my kids from thing to thing to thing to thing because we aren't, we, we're living differently here. We want to slow down and have lives that reflect the peace of God and have every chance of seeing the fruit in that way grow. And again, the goal is that we'd have this life with Jesus and a, a beautiful pace, a, a flourishing peace. It's the better choice than all the other stuff. And the last hurdle is that I think we've got to remember that it is a fight. It's a fight. Uh, we had a great catch up with uh, Chris uh, earlier this week, and he's like, you know, it's just a fight to choose these things, and it's it's been it's a fight to choose life sometimes. And yet, and I was like, yes, it is. It so resonated in me. And in the scriptures, often talk about this. These habits and these spiritual disciplines are not going to just come like a matrix download. It's a fight. Like, it's been 15 years of fight to build these disciplines in my life, but is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. The, the, the glory of God that begins to like, oh, I come fully alive in him. It's so worth it. So there's a stack of scriptures. Uh, be men of courage. Be strong. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 16, do everything in love. What a great line. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 4, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. In contrary, we have the divine power to demolish strongholds. So often we've thought of strongholds as being some ethereal, like out there kind of supernatural thing. Actually, the strongholds are things like addiction to phones. The strongholds are an addiction to rush and busyness and a, and a real reluctance to just sit and be with Jesus. Well, you know, those are the strongholds we've got to wage war against so that we can discover the life found in Jesus. And the metaphor here, of course, of running the race. Um, the half marathon, or the, uh, the Hawke's Bay Marathon was on yesterday. I did not take part. Um, though I've done three half marathons before, and it's a great picture of what it is like to pursue these spiritual disciplines. You just keep training, and you keep getting stronger. And it does get easier, but it still hurts a bit, because bits of you have to die, but it's worth it, because you find life and, and ecstasy, and you find endorphins at the end of that race. You know, And it's, uh, there's so much life in there. There is a sense, I think, for us, even as we journey together of going, we want to repent from this stuff, which simply means to change direction, to change attitude or purpose. Um, to, because we've often defined sin as very naughty things. You know, like we talked about last week, the gross sins, those things where it's like, you know, your cream bun that you shouldn't have the fourth one or whatever it is. Insert metaphor here in terms of what those addictive broken issues are. Um, but the sin is also anything that, you know, the definition of sin is falling short of the mark. So it's like anything that doesn't lead us to this beautiful, rich life in Jesus is sinful, which is not to make everyone feel stink. It's just to like, we've got a lot to repent from. And repent means I'm going to turn away from that and walk in a different direction. And so again, when it comes to my relationship with my phone, I'm in a process of repenting right now because I want to turn away from the way that it's had control over my life and I want to live, it, I want to live the way of Jesus and it's bringing life to me. Um, and this is where I love uh, Cy Rogers um, says this, I do not abandon sin because it has no appeal. Rather, my awakened soul wants God more. I return to him not to rules nor religion, but to him. Jesus is that path of returning and his invitation is urgent and insistent. I, I, I love that. My awakened soul wants God more. I love zoning out to my phone. I love that feeling of importance when I'm busy and I've got lots in my diary, but I want God more. 
I want God. My awakened soul wants God more. And so accountability and community are absolutely central to our growth. As I said last week, um, if the research shows that if you tell somebody your goal and you are accountable to them, you have a 65% chance of reaching that goal because you've talked to that person about it. If you meet regularly with them and they ask you how you're doing, you have a 95% chance of reaching that goal at some point in the future. And so, again, as I announced last week, we're doing a major shift in how we operate as a church. From now on, we're asking how our private world with Jesus is going regularly. And I'm so encouraged the way that people have taken up that challenge. Uh, because we want to grow, we want to change, we want to have a deeper devotional life. And this is our up a click, not up a click, uh, up a click uh, picture of some of the boys that met just on Thursday morning, going around the circle asking, how's your devotional life going? And the, and the, the life we've found is we've stayed accountable to each other on that. I wouldn't trade for all the tea in China. It's we've discovered life. So I... I urge you, I encourage you, please don't just be a, this is my, this is my bad dream. This is my bad dream. Everyone's looking at me blankly in my bad dream. And like they're hearing me say accountability central to your growth. And they're all just a bit blank and just going, mm, you know, I'm not sure. This is my big fear is that you know, I'm please. I mean, it's an invitation. We're not a cult. I would love to be a cult some days. I really would. But it's an invitation. I can't control you. I can't make it happen. But I promise you, if you get close, with, if you meet regularly with people you love and you sit down together and you ask each other how that's going, you will change. I just know that's the case because I've experienced and that's why Jesus lived with his 12 disciples as he was asking them, challenging them, causing them to grow. And this is where I, I implore you to, to be in loving community and to be in cheering each other on. You know, you know, it's interesting, especially when you're struggling. I was talking about this with someone before with the church service. Even when you turn up to the group, and this has been me a few times, and you're like, Rubbish week, really rubbish. Like I'm a pastor, it's even bigger implicated. Rubbish week spiritually, guys. Like terrible. Um, and even the fact I'm saying that out loud is helping me process it. And in, in the context of a loving, non-judgmental community of mutual vulnerability, there's something healing about saying that. And it's then from that moment on, I've dealt with it, and it's like I'm back on the wagon. And the reality is for most of us, when we have a rubbish week, if no one's asking us the question or we don't have that kind of moment coming up, then that's just an off-ramp that can last months and sometimes years where we just never get back on the wagon. Can I implore you, if you're not already in a group, please get in a group. Or as many of you have done over this last week, just have a chat to some of your friends and say, we're meeting up for dinner, we're meeting up for coffee, we're going to do this weekly, we're going to have an up, a click, uh, which is about going up, a click in your spiritual lives. We're going to have that accountability together. So as we come into land this morning, I've talked mainly about the hurdles uh, because um, I think those are the things we've got to deal with before we start you know, thinking we're going to be able to build this stuff into our life with any consistency. For me, now there's a million and one tools out there, and we, I actually preached about this last year, and so I'm going to link, oh, I don't know if I have done this, I'll add the link to that sermon and the handout we gave to that so you can listen in the week. If you want a list of the tools I've found helpful over the year, but uh, for me at the moment, these are the three that I absolutely adore. And the journey I would like to take us on as a church is that we grow in our contemplative walk with Jesus. 
because we are a charismatic church. We love the things of the Holy Spirit. We're going to encourage prophecy and tongues and all of that stuff. Uh, but the dynamite combination I have found is when you have a contemplative inner world with Jesus and you're part of a charismatic community. Both, they spill over to each other. The charismatic spills over to my devotional life. I'm praying in tongues. I'm thinking about words I can give people. But predominantly my private world with Jesus is a contemplative experience. And there's a rich tradition of the church that helps us work out what that can look like. And then predominantly our, our public gatherings are a charismatic experience in terms of songs and, you know, and hoot and hollering and, and, uh, and I really want us to go up and praying for each other and the prophetic and healing and all those sides of things. So for me personally, uh, these are the tools I just um, love that give me a lot of life. I read the Bible in the year every day. Now that is on my phone um, and uh, I read that before, um, normally before the kids go to school. Um, which again I'm wrestling with because it's me sitting on my phone in the morning. But I'm, I'm dead wood, you know, and then you have the coffee, you know, and it's like I do the bare minimum so the kids have breakfast and all that. And then I sit in the chair upstairs and I read my Bible in a year. And it's just this habit where it just gets me into the Word first thing in the day. And I'm trying just to sit in it and not rush it. Um, if I'm feeling a bit distracted, or not distracted, if I'm. If I'm don't feel like I've got heaps of energy. I won't dive deep into the Old Testament readings, which are the longest. My priority is always the uh, Psalms or Proverbs, or the, especially the New Testament. I want to soak myself in the life of Jesus and in the epistles. Um, what I'm doing at lunchtime is uh, this amazing devotion called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. We will be doing one of these exercises next week as part of the sermon. And in term three, when we do the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, every single person that does the course is going to get this devotion. And it starts with two minutes of silence before the Lord. And then I have, there's a short devotion and prayer and scripture. And then it finishes with two minutes of silence. And I sit with Jesus and I still myself, and I'm conscious of his presence. And when my mind wanders, I bring it back to the Lord, and he sits next to me. And it's just unbelievable how, like, everyone's got 10 minutes at lunchtime, and I'm telling you, your soul's had like a shower, and you feel like a million dollars by the time you've done that. And so, and that's going to be happening. And then the last tool that I use frequently is this tool called Pray As You Go, which I use in the car most days, and... Um, uh, that's just a contemplative 13, 14-minute devotion that uh, is uh, absolutely stunning to help us reflect on Scripture, and that's great. Now, there's a million other things out there, podcasts and you know all sorts of ways of reading the Bible, and I've found those to be particularly, um, particularly uh, helpful. That's where I'm at at the moment, and I'm just slowly building into my life at the end of the day this thing called the prayer of examine that helps me reflect on my day, but I'm, I'm at such an early stage, I feel embarrassed about even saying it up front because it's like really ropey and wobbly at that one. But I'm, I'm realizing I'm not finishing my days well with Jesus, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to just get some disciplines in place there. And I'm like, can I just again, can I say the fruit? Like I know it's a battle, I know it's a fight, but it's the best fight. It's worth it because, oh, the life I'm experiencing in Jesus as I just have these habits that get formed in my life means that I feel like I'm not just thinking about Jesus or trying to be a Christian. I'm sitting with him and I'm learning to, you know, to be with him. And I feel the love go up, you know, and the stress go down. And I'm just I'm feeling the transformative power of these habits. So I just would I'd love you to uh, engage with them. 
Here's, we're going to finish with this. What I'd like to do is hand out, we've got 100, and I hope this is going to be enough today. It's really nice seeing that people actually turned up to church. Um, this is, sorry, I just grabbed one actually. Um, this is, I'm going to hand out what is it's called a spiritual growth plan. Oh, we're getting accountable now, friends, and I want, to, I want you to fill it in and hand it back. No, I'm joking. There's no way you're doing that. Here's what I would like you to do is um, we're having this spiritual growth plan, and on here we've got some questions that I want you to sit with and reflect on over the next six, seven weeks of our series. So there's no expectation that you fill this in today, but I'm asking you some questions so that there's some intentionality around this journey. Amen? So there's some, un- I'm going to say that again because everyone's a bit distracted. So this helps us on our intentionality around growing spiritually. And so I'm asking some, us to, to reflect on these questions. And then particularly, Marie Kondo does a spark joy um, hashtag moment there. Um, particularly when it comes to over the series, what I'm asking you to do is to find that one spiritual discipline in particular that you feel the Lord is inviting you to grow in. Because you can't, like, it'd be foolish and unwise of you and immature of you to try and implement absolutely everything in one hit. You'll just feel like a failure and like a rat's Christian, and it'll just be another big off-ramp. You're way best to say, Lord, what are you breathing on? What's the life in it for me? And in one of these different disciplines, I'm just, I'm, my prayer is that one, I'm like, yes, this is one I want to pursue. So you may be literally writing that down on the very last Sunday of our series. This is, this is the one that the Lord's inviting me into in a deeper way. But then it's around like, how do I implement this into my life? And particularly using the groups uh, to help us in that. At the bottom in brackets, I've also put, if you struggle with answering the questions on this form or the thought of filling it out, reflect on why that is, please. Ask the Lord to reveal where these feelings are coming from and ask the Lord what the next step is for you. Because I know some people, this will be too controlling, it'll be too whatever, it's just too unbearable for some reason, but work out why, because this should be okay to do this and to share it with a group and loving community, hashtag we're trying to follow Jesus, okay? So that's there for you, and so just use that when you can. If you didn't get a copy of that, there will be, oh yeah, there's some leftovers there. Here's the homework for this week. I don't have it. Okay, cool, that's a picture of the earth. <laughs> Fly, uh, no. Here's the homework this week, which uh, is the, the challenges that will be the, that are online now, and, um, and I want to Uh, encourage us into if you feel like this is a goal that you want to pursue, which I hope it is for everyone. So the beginner challenge is to start or restart a practice that engages you with Jesus every day. So just get back on the wagon and make it a smart goal, specific, measurable, achievable. So please don't try and turn into Merton or, you know, uh, St. Teresa, you know, or whatever. Just start with where you're at and what's one thing that you can intentionally just put in your day every day. And honestly, if uh, it could be the Bible. I'm just going to read four verses of the New Testament. I'm going to read a, a, a verse in the Psalms and I'm just going to think about it. Like If that's it, awesome. It's better than nothing, right? That's so good. Do it. So let's just today just go, if it's been a real, like if you're spiritual, when Peter Scazzaro was talking, you're like, oh no, prophetic word about my life. My, it's a shambles. I've got nothing. It's crisis time. Then, then let's just go, let's not make it a big deal. The enemy wants to make it a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Right now you can be like, I'm back on the wagon. I'm going to do this. And, but you've got to tell somebody and you've got to have a group around you. So that's the beginner challenge. The intermediate challenge 
is this. Recall when your devotions were at their best and to commit to rebooting those practices. I remember like when you're smashing it and just go, I'm going to smash it again. I'm going to put those things back in place in my life. Now, there may be a season of life or stage of life that's changed that makes it slightly trickier, but commit to getting back to that level. Like, I want to get back to, to when I was really just strong and consistent and smashing it and tell your group about that commitment. And the advanced challenge is to structure your day so that you have morning, lunchtime, and evening devotions. They do not have to be long. In fact, the shorter, the probably the more achievable. Keep in... Uh, and try and include within them, not in every one of them, but within the day, uh, some reading of scripture, some silence, which we're going to talk about in a whole sermon next week because it's so central to the way of Jesus, and prayer throughout those devotions. You may want to include journaling or speaking in tongues or worship or Ignatian meditation or reading a good commentary alongside your Bible or podcast or committing to send prophetic words or whatever. But this is for the advanced, hardcore, you know? They're just like, all right, I'm going to three times a day, I'm going to have a daily office, which is what the people did, I'm going to check in morning, lunchtime, and dinner, or evening, I'm just going to have this moment with Jesus, that's set. So this is an advanced challenge. Share with your group, this is for the advanced challenge, what this will look like, but do your very best to share with humility, and to do it in such a way that it empowers those not as developed, and search your heart desperately for any Pharisee mentalities. Share what your group uh, will look, uh, search your heart for any Pharisee mentalities. So that's the advanced homework, okay? So that's all online on our secret Facebook group right now, and it's going to be on our website Monday lunchtime. Is that all good? So those are the challenges for this week. Now, I know it's been a super practical talk, but it's been, I feel like this is one of the most important talks I've ever given in my life, you know? <laughs> all week I was like, oh, don't screw this up, Harvey. Um, because this is the battle over our private world with Jesus is raging, and we want to take some ground back. Why? Because there's life found in Him. Sounds like there's demonic activity out in the preschool. I'm sure they'll sort that out. Um, it's joy. Sorry, it's joy. Okay, okay. So, so easy to get those confused uh, with those ones. Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus. I, in Jesus' name, ask that any condemnation would be lifted off now in your name, Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we just, we're honest about where we're at. And thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness, not strength. And so we don't pretend to be just all sorted and all perfect. We acknowledge that we have got so much to learn. And often we feel a victim of our circumstances. Lord, lead us, guide us into places of new life with you. And so, Lord, we just say that even though we love our sinful ways, our awakened soul wants you more. So help us, Lord God. Teach us. Lead us. And I pray, Lord God, that this would be a church that has a deep and rich devotional life with you. I pray that we would cheer each other on to, to live counterculturally and to find the life that is found in your presence when we have these rhythms of devotional activity with you. Teach us. Lord, I pray especially for those that struggle with reading, help them. Those that are dyslexic, help them, Father. Those that struggle with all sorts, Lord, just help us. Thank you that you send your Spirit to help us. We're not on our own. And we just say, Lord, we don't want to do this to please you. We do this because we want to be near you. We, we, we just we feel your embrace, even now. 
And we ask, Lord God, that we wouldn't just live from Sunday to Sunday, but every day there'll be this sense of just yearning with you in such a way that our souls flourish in you and that the world is changed by people soaked in your love. Help us to abide in you. Help us to grow as we abide in you in the beautiful fruits of love and joy and peace. We ask this through your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.